welcome to Crime Time with Maggie Sten. What you're going to be listening to is a series of episodes called The Times Aren't Changing, They Have Changed. With me is Joel Coleman, who has a lot of questions. So the act that you've given me today to have a look at is the Law Enforcement Powers and Responsibilities Act, uh, New South Wales, from 2002. Now, LEPRA, as it's known, such great names these, these bureaucrats come up with, was a response to a Royal Commission into the police service. It was. Okay. Just give us a brief outline quickly of what that Royal Commission was about. All right. The Royal Commission was into the police force. It began with King's Cross and the drug dealing there and the corrupt police because, as the Royal Commission found out, the crimes and the drug dealing in King's Cross could not have been committed without the sanction of the police or the green light, as it was called in the Royal Commission. And that's when we found out things like certain criminals had certain police in their pockets and found out all sorts of things. Prior to LEPRA, it was quite common when the police interrogated you that involved you getting hit around the head with telephone books, with being wrapped in a mattress and being hit with rubber hoses. It was quite brutal. Not every police officer, obviously, because police are like normal people. You get good ones, you get bad ones. And this is what the Royal Commission showed. After that, that all died down. But having said that, it's not perfect today either because, again, a law is only as good as the people who administer it. Okay, so... I'm going to assume that post the Royal Commission, there were some fairly uh, serious steps taken by the New South Wales Police to clean their act up a little bit. Yes, yes. So we're now in a situation where this act has quite a lot of authority with regard to how people can be arrested and what happens when they are arrested. Yes. Now, I like to think in my utopian mind yes. that no one gets beaten by the police anymore, particularly not in Australia. Yes. But section 115, I'll just read this, provides that upon arresting a person, police have a six-hour investigation period before they must release or charge the person. Yes. Six hours to me seems like quite a long time to be interrogated. Yes. Is that reasonable? Well, it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're getting interrogated the whole time. What that means is that they can keep you there for the six hours. It's very rare that you're interrogated for the whole six hours. Okay. You get interrogated and then they'll try and make more inquiries and then they come back. Then they can also extend that time by getting an order from the magistrate or a judge to allow them to do so. But that's not usually that they're interrogated for the whole time. So what they're saying is they can hold you for six yes. hours. They'll ask you questions, yes. let you, well, put you back in a cell yes. for a while and yes. ping yes. pong you around a little bit. Yes, but can I just tell you, they now have all sorts of safeguards too. Usually there's cameras, well, there's supposed to be cameras in all stations, there's supposed to be cameras in the interrogation room. When they're talking to you, they're supposed to be videoing it. That's supposed to happen even if they stop you in the street. You're saying supposed to a lot. Now, it's either they do it or they don't. Well, they do, but I've had lots of cases where remarkably the body cam hasn't worked. 
the camera in the police station was faulty. Someone wiped it by mistake. It's so as a just a little side path, a little divergent here. If you're approached by a police officer and you believe that you are going to be arrested, do you have the right to film the whole process if you've got a phone in your pocket? No. You, you do don't. Not. You don't. Okay. Well, I guess according to the way the law stands, if you said to the police officer, can I film this? And he said, yes, you could, but he wouldn't say yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So either so the law is reliant on them to do the right thing. Yes. And let's go with the technology functioning correctly. Yes. yes. Okay. So the next thing, uh, there's, there's some other bits in the act about what powers they have when they do arrest you with regard to identifying you, which I think is fairly reasonable. They're going to fingerprint you. They're going to take your photograph. Okay. It also says, it is in your best interest to comply with any procedure and object to the admissibility later in court. Yes. Now, that to me suggests that there's a piece of legislation which is providing advice on how people behave. Well, yes, because you see, they can take a swab for your DNA and they can take your fingerprints. Now, if you object to all that, once upon a time you had to go before a magistrate or a judge for them to make the order. Now the Act's been changed that the senior police officer um, can take a swab for your DNA, can, can say, yes, I order you to do that. What that means is that later on you can argue in court there was no reason for any of this. Right. The person should have never ever been detained. At but the police already now have your DNA on file. Yes, but you can. Yeah, they do. You do, they do. You can then apply if you've been acquitted or the charges were dismissed to have that removed okay. from the database. But I don't know how successful that is. And at what, at what point do you have access to a lawyer? Oh, immediately. Immediately. You can ask for a lawyer immediately. Do most people do that? I'd say probably 50% do. The hardened criminals do. They're the ones that are aware of their yeah, rights when they yeah, get arrested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're the ones who are aware of their rights. They're the ones who know what to do. It's the really, you know, everyday people who haven't got a clue. Okay, so let's take a, an example of the everyday person who yeah. hasn't got a clue. And I, I think this is, you know, relevant to a lot of young people out there. Sniffer dogs at music festivals. Yes. Right to me, that seems a little bit draconian. Where you've got uh, a line of people going into a music festival, and the police can come along with a dog, and anyone that the dog sits down next to can be searched and arrested. Yes, is that just a little heavy-handed? I think it is, but who am I? Who are you? You're the person representing these people. <laughs> yes, yes, I think it is heavy-handed, but um, that's what the law says. They're allowed to do that. So what we don't see in the newspapers is the result of those searches. Okay, so most people that are getting picked up at the bottom end of these searches, right, these are not the the Mr. Biggs that we've spoken about in previous episodes. Are they getting to court and getting cautioned or are they getting dragged through and held accountable? Well, they get to court, nine out of ten magistrates in Sydney give them a real dressing down and tell them how stupid they are, which they are stupid because, unfortunately, the stuff they're taking, God knows some person made it in their microwave. You know, not a good look, but they usually walk out without a conviction. So to me that just suggests that there's a whole heap of wasted time and police presence then as well. 
It, there probably is, but how do you get through to people that it's really not a good idea spending $200 on what you think is cocaine, but a quarter of it's probably rinse and baby laxative? I see your point. You know, it's yeah. something's got to be done. See, the other thing is we're talking about police powers and we're talking about crime. The example you just gave for music festivals, those people usually aren't regular drug users or just do it socially. But for people, and a lot of those people then probably become proper drug users over the years. And what I think that the law doesn't recognise, but judges and magistrates are more and more recognising this and dealing with it accordingly, the drug addiction, sure, it's a crime, but it's really a health condition. Yeah, I think that should be its own episode yeah. because it's the the intersection between um, the criminal side of drug use and the health problems associated with with drug use is a very interesting topic. Yeah. But I don't think it's one we can cover in a, a fifteen minute yeah. episode. No. But can I just say that I think the good thing about lepra, sure, you've got bad cops that still treat people appallingly and do the wrong thing, but generally, I'd say they're a minority. Uh, prior to Lepra and prior to the Royal Commission, I mean, police did what they wanted. They treated people appallingly if they could. Again, not all police, but that seemed to be the norm. I mean, you know, there was the thing called the verbal where they just made up statements and wrote them. And there was actually a line in there. You could always say, oh, you got me, Sergeant, so and so. I did it. You know, this was never signed, nothing. And people went to jail for many years on the strength of those confessions. That doesn't happen any longer. So so the Act has sharpened the police to approach arresting people and interrogating people with due process most of the time. Most of the time, yes. Yeah. Look, not all the time. I had a client recently where he is an Indigenous man. He's well known to the police. If you read this act, it tells you that they're not supposed to stop people without proper suspicion there's got to be a suspicion. And the suspicion isn't supposed to be about the person. It's supposed to be about what you think they've done. That's really interesting. So it's, um, point two of the Act mm -hmm. uh, under Section 21, it says, in court, the officer who performs the search will need to prove that, A, they had information in their mind. That's right. Well, in my client's case, the example I'm going to give you, the information they had in their mind was that they'd arrested him heaps of times before. That's not what it's supposed it to be. But, but, so then when they searched him, the bike he was on was a stolen bike. Push bike. Yes. Very popular push bikes in the inner city for stealing. So, yes, it was a push bike. And then they charged him with it. So then you get to, does the probity value outweigh the prejudicial value? You'll have to explain that a little okay. bit. There's a lot of jargon there. All right. You would argue in court that that search is illegal. They shouldn't have ever approached him, searched him, because the fact that they did was because they knew who he was. They knew he had a criminal record. They'd arrested him before. That is prejudicial. So he shouldn't be allowed. But... The probative value is that the bike was stolen. But they didn't know that. 
No, they didn't know that, but once they got there, they did because it was stolen. Right. That doesn't seem to uh, be enough for, for this point, though, in the Act to have stopped him. But it is. In real it life, is. it is. Right. So this, is, this becomes a problem where having a criminal record just keeps following you around. It does. It does. And it's very hard to move away from that. Okay, in this person's... Um, uh, situation they had actually committed another crime. Yes. Um, well, maybe they had. They were on a stolen bike. It doesn't mean they stole the bike. No, but it was. It, it, it was. was? <laughs> yes, it was enough to charge him. Okay. So the last point of this this act as well. Uh, mm. Before there's some real life examples, it says again, our advice: don't resist. Police will search you whether you consent or not. Yes. Whether the search is lawful or not will be determined in a court later. Yes. This, to me, seems very, very odd from a person who is, I would say I'm a law-abiding citizen, and if a police officer has in their mind some kind of suspicion because, I don't know, I have long hair, they have the right to search me and I should not resist that search because I can just argue it later. The power is very much in the hands of the police here. It is, and it is. And let me tell you, if you do resist it, then nine out of ten times it ends up in a scuffle and you've got resist arrest. So you're just harming yourself. Yes. Submit and fight later is the advice. Yes. Anything else you can add to that for anyone being approached by a police officer? Because I don't know, for some reason this makes me fearful of police, which I don't think an uh, a police force should be. No, it shouldn't be. But look, if you're approached by a police officer, it's usually because there is something happening or it's police outside these venues. You know, for instance, in George Street and things, I've had lots of cases like that where the person really hasn't been doing anything, but the police officer is just sick of being there. There's heaps of people that have been doing things and it ends up in a scuffle. It ends up in a resist arrest for all the wrong reasons. But but remember, if a police officer comes to talk to you, all you have to do is tell them your name and address. You don't have to tell them anything else. And I think that's probably the key point here is be polite, comply with what they ask, but you do not have to give them any information should you not wish to. If you feel you've done nothing wrong, go ahead. But on that point, we had a number of cases like that. For instance, I had a case quite a few years ago where he was probably more than 10 years ago now, but my client was Asian and he was driving a BMW and he was stopped by the police. They just stopped him and asked him a whole heap of questions like whose car is it, you know, show me your rego, show me this, show me that. It ended up in a whole scuffle. He was charged with resist arrest and I think it was an assault. Anyway, we ran it. He pleaded not guilty and I ran the unlawful search and we won it. The magistrate found it was unlawful and we actually got costs. But he went through a lot and I still think that that only happened because he was Asian in a fancy car driving around Punchbowl. Right, so an element of race came into that yes. as well. yeah. But what you've just said there, you ran the case and you were awarded costs, which yeah. means that your client didn't have to pay for his own 
legal expenses, or yeah. most of it. You usually yeah, have to pay yeah. something still. Yes, yeah. But had to go through yeah. the stress of the whole it's thing. Shocking stress. Whereas your advice to that person would have been give them your name and yes. address and stop right there yeah. and anything more, please let's allow yes. me to get a lawyer. Yeah. I think that's probably where we should uh, end this one on okay. that little bit of advice. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. <laughs>